find in the book of Acts chapter 16. And we'll begin to read in verse number 16. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject, revival that lasts. Revival that lasts. Acts chapter 16, we'll begin to read in verse number 16. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 16, begin to read in verse number 16. The Bible says these words. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope and profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up to gather against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, and they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoner had fled, drew his sword, and he's about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. They spoke a prophetic word. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed the stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized, and when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak through this text. God, I pray, because, Father, I've sat in a pew for many years. This is when Satan would seek to attack us and capture our attention away. Lord, and lead us to think about things that really have no eternal matter whatsoever effect upon our lives. God, I pray your precious Holy Spirit would regather us and regather our attention and focus us in on you and your word. God, I pray if there's one here who's never been saved, this would be the day that they choose to turn like this jailer and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of their life and experience his saving grace. Father, I pray for one today who's been saved, but they've not been living the way that they should. Their life spiritually has drifted away from your lordship. God, I pray today... They'll repent and return, and they'll experience your reviving touch upon their life. And God, daily, moment by moment, they'll practice those spiritual disciplines that keep them living in a constant state of spiritual revival. 
And God, I pray for the believer that's where they need to be today. You remind us of the words the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Let him that stand take heed lest he fall. And though we're where we need to be right now, Father, we're only just a step away from slipping. I pray we'll hide these truths in our heart so that, Lord, daily we'll live in the reality of a revival that lasts. Bless this time. Your will be done. We'll ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And I'll invite you again to be seated. Remember that, you know, it's easy to get called up in church life and to think, you know, if you ask the average church member what's revival, they'd say what's something we put on the calendar in the fall and spring. And that might be when traditionally we set aside services that are focused toward revival. But revival is renewal. Uh, Revival is renewal of something that's already living. Remember, lost people don't need revival. Lost people need a spiritual awakening. John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus said, you must be born again. And so I hear people today say, you know, well, you know, America needs revival. America doesn't need revival. The church needs revival. America needs the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It only comes when someone repents and by faith trusts Christ to be Lord of their life. Then they can experience a spiritual birth. That's an awakening. So revival is always for the church. Revival compels us to make a fresh consecration to Christ. When revival comes only to a life and to a family, to a marriage, to a church, the atmosphere of that place is charged with the presence of Christ. It's it's more than emotion. Uh, One can sense Christ in hearts and lives. We see the visible move of the Holy Spirit among believers which stirs us to a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit's feeling. That's His control over our our lives. We live in a, a day, sadly, of great apathy, and indifference to the things of God. And, and that's, that's just inside the church. It's really bad apart from that. Uh, but the Lord said that it would be that way. We saw it. It doesn't have to be, but the Lord, in his foreknowledge, knew it. Remember, Revelation chapter 1 is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are seven letters. It's so important you know this. Seven letters to seven distinct churches, which represent seven distinct ages. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 John says, I heard a voice say, come up hither. That's the rapture of the church. That's the end of the church age. But just prior to that, at the conclusion of the book of Revelation, the last letter to the last church is to the church at Laodicea. It's a lukewarm, apathetic, indifferent church. They've become self-focused, self-satisfied, and self-dependent. They're apathetic and indifferent about the things of God. And really, they've come to a place that they only think they need Jesus Christ anymore. And the sad reality was, even though they thought they had the best of everything, they were poor, wretched, blind, and naked. But at the conclusion of that text, the very last invitation that the Lord offers to the church before the raptures, Jesus says, and this is a great evangelistic passage, but really the emphasis is lost if it's only used as an evangelistic invitation. When Jesus spoke these words to the church, at Laodicea, he was speaking it to believers who had lost their drive, who had lost their step. They had slipped away. They had backslid away from their, their surrender and their dependence upon Jesus Christ. No longer was there close worship. No longer was there fellowship. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. They hadn't lost their salvation, but they had lost their testimonies. They'd lost fellowship. Sin had separated them from God. And what that church needed was revival. Friend, that's what the church needs 
today. The lukewarm, indifferent, whatever church needs the reviving touch of Christ upon their lives. And if allowed, Satan will lead people to think that you know, they can make it without the manifested presence of Christ. And I will remind you the words of Jesus Christ from John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. We need to remember what the church at Laodicea had forgotten. Revival is not something that only happens in the life of, of, of someone who has fallen and, and drifted away, but it's something that, that happens every single day in the life of a committed Christian in those moments of challenge and hardship. And that's what we're going to see happen in the life of the Apostle Paul. You say, well, revival is really only needed and really only experienced when someone just drifts away and they fall away from the Lord. Not so. When you're walking with the Lord and you're in His perfect will, there are going to be moments, friend, that God is going to allow. Hardship, challenges, and difficulty. You're going to be placed in a quote-unquote prison of some kind. And that's when the devil can come along and try to tempt us to slip away and to turn away from our surrender to the Lord when the heat gets turned up on our faith. It's at that moment that we need to experience God's reviving touch upon our lives. And that's what happened to Paul and Silas. They came to a place that they experienced God's fresh anointing upon their life when they were tempted to turn back and to quit. I want you to notice three truths this morning about revival that lasts. Three simple truths. It's the, the rivals of, the recipe for, and the results from. First off, I want us to know this morning, the rivals of. What are the rivals Say that real fast seven times. What are the rivals of revival? Well, turn to your Bibles and look again. The Bible says in verse number 16, Now it happened as we went to prayer. Notice that Paul and Silas, listen, they're not out selling drugs in Philippi. Um, they're not stealing cars and, and trying to make money off of them. They're serving God. They're going just in their daily walk and in their daily commitment, they're seeking to serve God. The Lord. And there are some revivals that we can see a lot of times it's not on the outside of the church, but it's on the inside of the church. It's things that are attached to our spiritual life that can really challenge us from living in a state of revival. And again, revival is just that fresh daily reconsecration to Christ's Lordship where there's nothing between. Sometimes some of those greatest rivals are things not, you know, some. Poor rich kid running around black pajamas tied to Antifa that's going to cause you to turn away. It's a lot of times it's things inside the church and they're in, attached to your perfect life. Well, the first thing that the devil can use to turn us away from revival is, is false professions of faith. False, it's lost church members. Uh, again, I had a pastor early on. I, I appreciate that God put some older pastors around me at different times just to give me words that you really don't hear spoken anymore. He said, son, I want to tell you something. He said, ministry would be a privilege if it wasn't for people. Now, you think about that. But he told me that. It's not, listen, it's not safe people that will drive you nuts in church. It's lost church members. They wouldn't know God if they met him in the road. And so here Paul and Silas are seeking to win a city to Christ. And what, what tempts them and what seeks to move them away from their commitment to God it's this young girl who's saying all the right things, but it's coming from the wrong heart. Look what the Bible says in verse number 17. They're, they're just moving about, and the Bible says, verse 16, there's a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination who met us. She brought her master as much profit by fortune-telling. 
This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. What she was saying was right, but she was saying it from the wrong heart. And it came, it came to the place for that she wasn't helping ministry, she was hindering ministry. And the Bible says that Paul was absolutely annoyed by this. She had religion, but she had no relationship. Now, I'm telling you, friend, lost church members will always seek, and lost, lost people who think they're saved or act like they're saved, who are attached to your life, either in the workplace or in your family, they will always seek to make light, to tear apart, or to put out the fire of revival in your life. They're always going to do that because they want you to come down where they are. They know when to say the right things on cue to the right people, but the real truth comes out around people that are just like them. If you're not careful, if you watch people, you'll take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. And the devil can use those voices, friend, to discourage you and to turn you away from your commitment to Christ. And so, listen, Jesus had 12. One was a hypocrite. I've met so many people I've tried to witness to, and I say, won't you trust God? Won't you come visit? Well, church is full of hypocrites. And I was like, well, I won't deny that. But, you know, you can endure hypocrites while you're on this earth and then one day go to heaven, or you can die and go to hell and spend all eternity with all the hypocrites. And I've just decided, friend, I, even though I don't want there to be lost church members and lost people who claim to know Christ, but they don't, because Jesus said, straight's the gate, and there's the way, and few there be that find it. And many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things? But he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. They were lost church members. I've just decided, friend, to pray for them and to endure them, but not to let them turn me away from the joy of serving and living in a state of revival every day. Amen. If you're not careful, you'll, you'll let people drive you nuts. Uh, so I've just adopted, the Bible says, to mark those that walk contrary to the faith and to avoid them. So, you know, so if you keep wondering why people keep jumping out windows when you walk down the hall, you might take inventory. Second thing that the devil seeks to use to discourage us, the rivals of revival, and that's apathy. Just absolute indifference to the things of God. And that's the day that we're living in, the lukewarm Laodicean age. Just whatever. Uh, you try to talk to people, stir them up, get them excited, and they just sit and stare at you like a calf that's looking at a new gate. Where'd that come from? Look what the Bible says, verse 19. It says, but when her masters now, those were her handlers... They saw that their hope and profit was gone. They didn't care about that girl. All they cared about was money. That's all they cared about. They had no burden over her heart. The fact now that Paul has spoken to this girl, verse 18, and he has commanded this demon that possessed her to come out, and now she's free, they didn't care. They were indifferent to lostness. And friend, that is one of the things. If, if you begin to drift into apathy and indifference, I've shared this with you uh, before, you may be visiting this morning, I'll share it with you again, you know, several years ago, I was traveling through the Okoe Gorge, you know, it's bear season right now, as I was coming around the corner, uh, I saw a dog box come off the back of a truck, everybody knows a dog box is a box that's on the back of a truck, there's a box that came off the back of a truck that was carrying some, some, some bear dogs. And there were some puppies inside. A big truck came by, lifted that dog box off, and it crashed to the ground. And that, that, that mama dog and those puppies scattered across the pavement. And there was a big truck that hit that dog and all those puppies. 
I, that really didn't happen. But I want, I want to ask you this. It is true, though, that there are hundreds of people in this county that died last year without Christ and they're in hell today. Which, true, which are you more moved by? Are you more moved that a dog without a soul ceased to exist or the truth that people who die without Christ burn in hell for all eternity? That's where it is today. People are burning. Oh, 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 you know, we can't do this. We can't, oh, the church isn't able to do this now or we can't do that. And that's what breaks our hearts. But would to God that we'd be broken heart about what Christ really died on the cross about. And He didn't die on the cross for a dog. He didn't die for all the things that we've attached to the church that we think we've got to have or we just can't be happy. He died for sinners that they might not go to hell. God help us to be burdened and broken about what ministry is really all about. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the reason that there's not more people saved is because apathy grips the church. Apathy grips the church over discipleship, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you so that people can know how to think, to walk, to live. You can't do it apart from God's Word. But apathy and indifference, just whatever. And apathy will steal revival from your heart. I'll tell you something else that will, and that's tradition. Tradition. Being more moved by tradition than God's Word. Look what the Bible says in verse number 21. So these, these lost men, they, they grip Paul. They bring him and, him and Silas together, and they say, hey, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They didn't trouble the city, friend. They, they had the keys to the freedom that the city was gripped by. It was the gospel. But that's, what, that's how the lost world sees the Word of God and the will of God. This is going to keep me from, from what I want to do. No, friend, Jesus Christ sets you free. He who Christ has set free is free indeed. And so they had the keys, friend, to set people free. But listen to their heart. Here's what really got them stirred up. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to, to receive or to observe. They're, they're, they're asking us to do something that we've never done before, that we don't think is right. You want to know why? Because they gave more credence to tradition than they did the Word of God. Well, this is, this is the way we think it ought to be done. And when you get moved to a place like that, friend, that you're more guided by what society does and what people do, you're going to miss out on God's best and you're not going to be walking in revival. If you're going to be doing everything just the way the neighbors do, well, this is what's normal today. This is what everybody else... It doesn't matter what everybody else does. What does the Word of God say? Your Word is a lamp into my feet. Your Word is a, a light into my path. Listen to what the psalmist says. He wasn't concerned about tradition. As he wrote Psalm 119, we read the part of this on Wednesday night. Verse 1, he says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. These also, they do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. He says, Oh, that my way were directed to keep your statutes, then will I not be ashamed. You know what he said? He says, Oh, that my way were guided by the Word of God. Not by tradition, not by what's popular, not by what everybody else is doing, but by your Word. He said, Then I wouldn't be ashamed. You want to live in constant revival? That is a right renewed relationship with Jesus Christ? My friend, you've got to be making sure 
you don't lost people. You're, you're burdened over them, but they're not guiding the way you think or live. You'll be praying each day, God, strip away apathy and indifference. Let my heart break over what broke your heart and sent your son to the cross. And God, I pray above all, your word will be what guides me and directs me. Not tradition, or that's the way granddaddy did it. Or my mom was always that way. But by your word and your word alone. Those are the rivals of revival. But notice this now, the recipe for revival. When we come to a place that we need to experience God's reviving touch upon our life, what are things that we, we need to make sure are a spiritual reality in our life? What are things that must be present to experience God's reviving touch? Well, first off, there must be conscious, conscious prayer. By conscious, I mean, friend, not just the same, well, Lord, thank you for the day. God bless all the missionaries. And thank you for, for, for the food and house. Amen. Just the same verbiage. And, and again, and, and, and people that get stained glass lungs when they start praying. That's not the way you talk to somebody. You know, you see them out in the party, I hate them. Hey, good, man. You all right? Great. And you get to, well, well almighty God. And you're, you're just rehearsing something. There's no conscious, there, there's, there's, that's, there's, there's not a real conversation happening between you and God. Like, like God's only got ears that can hear stained glass speech. Friend, God wants to hear. It's, it's not the prayer, friend. It's the heart that it comes from. God wants to hear the, the, the words that represent a true broken heart before Him. And so it's, it's conscious prayer. Not just unconscious saying the same words. You know, you just nudge it and it starts rolling down the track. The same old verbiage. And you don't even know what, you, what it is you've said. And so in order to have that kind of prayer life, first off, there must be, it must be repentant. You know, I want you to notice this. Paul's in prison, but he didn't build the prison. And so there's a lot of prisons. I love the song that, you know, Peggy sings, Holly sang it for the other day when her voice went out. But it's in prisoner's chains. And if it's some midnight hour, you find yourself in the prison. You just call on God. But I want to tell you something, friend, there's a truth with it. A lot of people end up in prisons that God didn't make. They made them. And so they want God to free them from prison that He never made. They're, they're where they are because they're experiencing God's chastening hand upon their life. And they want out, but they're not going to get out until first off, they're repentant. You can't have a free prayer line with God if you have unconfessed sin in your life. Now, Paul didn't have any. But you need to know that this morning. And I've talked to people and said, well, I just don't feel anything when I, when I pray. Well, two things are the case. One, spiritually you're dead, or two, you've got unrepented sin. But I want to say, too, friend, it's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of fact. So one of the, one of the, one of the true is, one of the, one of the case is the true. If you need to be saved, you've got unrepented sin. And so we, we, don't, we don't wash, you know, just weekly. I hope you don't. Somebody next to you may be moved. They've moved over when you sat down. But we wash daily. Especially in this age of COVID, man, we wash our hands. We're lucky we even got skin left on them. Friend, that's the way you're to be throughout the day. Listen, when, when you pray consciously, as soon as you sin, you need to repent right then. You know, if you fell down yesterday when you're outside 
blowing some leaves and stuff. You're not going to wait till next Saturday night to wash off. I hope not. But you went and washed it off right then. When you fall spiritually, listen to me, you need to wash right then. You're to be repentant as you pray. As soon as you realize you sin, that's the immediate time. Because if you don't, filth is going to build on top of it. And then more filth is going to build on top of it. And then more filth is going to build on top of it. So pray when you pray, be repentant. But be real. Don't have this, this mindless repetition again. Talk to God. Be bold. Be persistent. James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. James says, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now listen. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. What's James saying? He said a lot of times people don't have because they don't ask, but a lot of times people have because they ask with the wrong heart. They're not asking for God's will. They don't want what God's will is. They just want what they want, and God in His goodness keeps it from us. But a lot of people aren't where they need to be spiritually because they're not turning God, and they're not being bold. God, do this. God, I don't want to be who I was. God, I want to be more than I was. I'm not satisfied with who I am spiritually. I want to be more. Paul and Silas began to pray. Be specific. Pray for, pray for needs. Be very focused. Pray for things that you really need God to do. And, and be, be forgiving. Notice that when Paul and Silas here begin to pray, as they're placed in prison, the Bible says that they've been beaten. They've been placed in prison. Verse 23 says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanded the jailer to keep them secure. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner part of the prison, fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, when they were tempted to turn away from God, when they needed to experience God's reviving touch, they began to pray. They weren't cursing the jailer. Paul forgave him. We see that because of how he treated him. I want you to listen to me. You need to hear this. Forgiveness is not approval. If someone has hurt you and harmed you, forgiving them doesn't mean you approve of what they did. But it means now you're not a prisoner to them. You have turned what happened over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see the real need in their life, and it's salvation. So be forgiven. Jesus did that, Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. He looked on those who had crucified him. And friend, I want to tell you, your face was in the crowd, and so was mine. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but I was there. I was one of the ones that crucified him, and so were you. He looked upon us and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looked with love. And so that's how we're to pray. There must be conscious prayer. But not only that, there must be consistent praise. The recipe revival means you have to have conscious prayer. It's got to be a true, real reality in your life. But there must be constant praise upon your lips. I've met, listen, we all have bad days. I've met different people that claim to know that Jesus changed their life. And I'm telling you, I don't mean once. I mean every time I talk to them. You're doing all right? Oh, it's just all bad. Oh. And it's just, it's always negative. I mean every time. If they, listen, if they had, had a long-lost millionaire that left them a million dollars, you're all right? Well, it was only a million, not a million and one. I don't. And I've got to pay the lawyer fees now. I, it's always negative. Friend, listen, there are challenges, verses. Friend, I want you, if you've been saved, you've always got something to praise God for. There's something to praise Him for. To remember that you're not who you used to be. Because, listen, there's a great promise. When we 
praise the Lord. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says, He is enthroned in our praise. That means He inhabits our praise. When I speak truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, He is there enthroned in that. He's in my midst. He's there. He's walking through the fire with me. And so there, there's constant praise that's to be on earth. They didn't start just being negative. The Bible says that they prayed and they sang hymns to God. They pray. Think about that, friend. Their, their feet are fastened in stocks. They've had the tar whipped out of them, beat to death for trying to preach the gospel. They didn't start, well, I guess we've got some church hurt. Yeah, I quit. I quit. No! They praised the Lord. They just started praising Jesus. There was, there was a spirit of constant praise. Now, I, I just always believe in my sanctified imagination that Paul just began to, to reflect on... So, you know, it's, it's kind of comical, Silas. That guy that beat me and put me in prison, that used to be me. He said, that's what I did. I used to beat people up. I used to put them in prison. I was the guy that went seeking for the followers of Jesus Christ and consented even to their death. He said, that's me. He said, isn't that just like God? Now I'm the one that's in here and the result of it. He says, but I wouldn't change anything. He said, I wouldn't say, Silas, God has changed my life. Jesus has been so good to me. And other prisoners were listening to that. There was just a dead silence. Everybody, listen, everybody was listening to see how the two Christians were going to respond to the hardship. And they began to praise I wonder if I wonder if Paul just didn't start singing and say, you've been my life. For so long, you were right. When I was wrong, I can't repay you for all the love you've given me. You've been my friend when no one cared. When I was alone, Lord, you were there. Lord, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Borrowed treasures. Borrowed dreams, all life's joys you've given to me. When troubles come, you're always there to make me smile. But come what may, thy will be done. I love you, Jesus, God's only Son. Lord, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. I believe Silas joined in with him and they said, and I owe it all to you, Lord. All I have is yours, Lord. Take my life. Make me what you'd have me be. I'm your child. You're my father. I'm the clay and you're the potter. Lord, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And in the midst of that moment, when Satan was whispering in their ears, you need to quit. This shouldn't have happened to you. You're Paul. God, if God was really a God of love, he wouldn't have let this happen. In that moment, when Satan was tempting him to faint spiritually, Paul resubmitted his life to the Lordship of Christ. He sang praises to God, and he prayed. And with that, friend, there was this continued placement. It's the third part of revival. A continued placement of one's life at the feet of Jesus Christ. Satan said, go back to being the one to put people in prison. Paul says, I'll not turn my back on him. 
I'll continue to place my life at the feet. If every day is a beating like this, if every day ends in a prison, I'll not turn my back. Jesus changed my life. And when that happened, friend, look what the Bible says, verse number 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. God showed up. But something happened that couldn't be seen. On the inside of Paul and Silas' life, they experienced God's reviving touch. At a moment when they could have fainted and spiritually backslid and drifted from God, they experienced God's reviving touch. Revival that lasts. And so we've seen then the, 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 the rivals of, the recipe for, but I want you to notice now third night close, the results from. What are the results from revival that really last? Well, first off, there'll be a conviction of sin in the lives of others. Look at verse number 29. Well, verse 27 says that the doors swing open, the prisoner, the, the guard of the prison who's responsible for all the prisoners, keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep, seeing the prison doors are open, supposing all the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he was responsible for all the prisoners. But notice what happened. The Bible says in verse number 28 that Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. He says, For we're all here. Then he called for a light. This is the prison guard. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. What happened? God got a hold of his heart. Well, friend, when you walk in revival that lasts, people are going to, lost people are going to see the change that's in your life. And the Holy Spirit's going to use that to show them something's missing in their life. This prison guard who moments before midnight thought he had everything, now he realizes that he's got nothing without Jesus Christ. He said, whatever these boys in the prison have, I want it. How did that happen? John 16, 8, only the Holy Spirit friend, can convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. But they saw, that he, they saw the change life. When you live in revival, God will use it to convict lost people of their sin. And then secondly, there'll be mission opportunities. Look what the Bible says in verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I wish that it happened more often that way, but it doesn't, friend. But if you'll look every day, God will give you opportunities to sow the gospel into someone's life. To build a relationship. Even though their feet were, had been fastened in stocks, they were still beaten and bruised. Paul and Silas were still on mission. And so here this guy comes in and rather say, well, let's get him, let's beat him now. No, friend, they saw him for who he was, a lost person that needed salvation. And if you look for those opportunities, God will give them to you. And the third result from revival that last year is the lost people, sometimes they're going to be saved. There's going to be those opportunities to do that, to share the gospel and see people saved. Verse 31, so Paul and Silas said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you and your whole household, and you'll be saved. Now, Paul wasn't saying, friend, that and, and there's, I don't want to get off, but there's this erroneous thought today tied to Calvinism that if you're predestinated to be saved, that your whole family is. And friend, I'm telling you, that is garbage. Every person has to make their personal choice. Paul was given a prophetic moment saying, if you're saved, your whole household can be saved. They had to make their choice. And so there was opportunity now for lost people to be saved. But not only that, another result that comes from real revival is the righting of wrongs. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 33. It says, the prison guard took them that same night and he washed their stripes. 
He's so humble now, friend. He's spit all his pride. He realizes he needs to make up for what he did. I believe this with all my heart. There's a lot of Christians who have no joy and they walk in spiritual defeat because they won't go to someone and say, I'm sorry. I did this. It was my fault. Because they're afraid, friend, that the fake persona that they've put up is going to be torn down. And it needs to be torn down so that you can start living in reality. How many marriages, how many relationships never grow, never, never develop, and never go past because someone won't just simply try to right a wrong. Now listen, I won't say with that. There's some wrongs that you can't go back and right and ought not to, and I won't explain. You, know, you, you did something bad to somebody that you used to date back in high school, you don't need to start crossing fences and going back 30 years to try to fix something. You messed up. You just need to pray for them, pray for that person. Because I want to tell you something, you're going to rip see your britches off trying to cross a fence into a pasture that you don't belong in anymore. And a lot of people through social media now are trying to make connections and reconnect with people that you've got no business trying to reconnect with. So you just pray for them and pray God will forgive you. And maybe in heaven, he'll give you mind. You can, before he wipes the tears from our eyes, you can say, I'm sorry then. But be led by common sense and not by emotion. But if you have opportunity, you need to right wrongs where you need to. And that's what took place here. He came and washed their wounds, the Bible says, in verse number 33. And then there results in a burden for others. Verse number 32 says, They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those who were in his house. Paul still didn't want to leave. When you're living in constant revival, friend, there's going to be an absence of apathy, and you're going to care about lost people. I want to help you with something. You don't have to raise your hand. But any of you still work at the place, or used to work at the place you just really don't like working at? You don't like the environment? Your boss gets on your nerves? You know, there's people there, they're just, they're, 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 they've got trashy mouths, they're hard on you, all those things. Friend, you know, God maybe placed you there, friend, in his province so you can be salt and light. So stop griping about how bad it is and start shining the light of Christ into people's lives. Realize that the gospel can change people. That grumpy boss, they're not going to be grumpy if they get saved. Your grumpy co-worker's not going to be grumpy if they get saved. That's what I've always believed, you know. Grumpy church members, they won't be grumpy if they'll get saved and experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So have a, have a burden for others. I want to say, what if Paul had quit? Stay with me, we're about to go to the invitation. What if like the average church member, he got his toes stepped on and says, well, I quit. I quit. Here's a man and his whole family that had died and gone to hell, possibly. But Paul didn't do that. In the midst of adversity, or failure for the believer, revival is a fresh reconsecration to Christ's lordship. Every obstacle and every hardship that we face, listen, it's an opportunity to experience God's fresh renewal upon our life. You know, have you have a cell phone? You have a cell phone? You remember, any of you just plugged it in once, you never plug it in again? What do you do every night before you go to bed? You plug it in. To experience a fresh battery. Listen, every adversity and every hardship is an opportunity for God to recharge us spiritually. To experience His fresh power upon our life. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you need revival? Now listen, if you've never been saved, you don't need revival. You need to be saved. 
If it was a child of God, would you be honest with me? Everybody look up here at me. We're about to go to the invitation. You don't need to take any more notes. Has there ever been a day where you've loved Jesus more than you do right now? Then you need revival. You need revival. You need God's fresh touch upon your life. Those enemies that face us, are, are, you, are you giving more ear to lost people? Their thoughts and their desires? Are you allowing the, the actions of someone else? I, I mean, I, I, know, I know people, they've lost all their joy because there's a lost man in the White House and a bunch of lost people turn our countryside. I don't like it, but friend, listen, my joy is not in the present, it's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't allow lost people to steal your joy. It's in Christ. Have you become apathetic and indifferent to what God's serious about? Are you more guided by tradition than truth? And turn away from those things today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Do you need revival, child of God? Spirit of God speaking to your heart. Then where do you stand in need today? Would you not humble yourself now? Would you not lay it at the feet of Jesus? Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If you'll turn from those things humbly and repentantly and seek His face, He'll heal your heart. He'll heal your spiritual life. A husband and wife that stand in need, He'll heal your marriage. And I'm so thankful. A church, when every believer is united in heart, He'll send revival into the midst of that church. He'll heal a church family. Do you need revival? Well, talk to Him now, consciously. Pray just like this, but you've got to mean for you make your own prayer. But maybe this would speak for your heart this morning. You make it your prayer. Father, I thank you for the day that you saved my soul. Father, I thank you for the newness that I once felt. But Lord, I'm not where I need to be spiritually today. There has been a day where I've loved you more than I've loved you right now. God, forgive me. And Lord, I've allowed all these different voices and all these different influences, but Satan's inspired them all. And I want to leave this place today fully surrendered and fully committed to the Lordship and the cause of Christ. Forgive me for where I've been. Now God, lead me to the place of restoration. I want your reviving touch upon my life. Did you mean that this morning? And leave this place today, friend, with revival that lasts. On Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of 1 Kings. We saw Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 experience a fresh touch from God. The nation of Israel had heard from God how to live in a state of revival. But as we move back to 1 Kings, the Bible says, But Solomon had many foreign wives. He left the church house and went straight back out to the world. Don't do that. Leave today with a heart that's committed to revival that lasts. Friend, you can't experience revival until you've been saved. There's never been a moment in your life where you've repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. Won't you do it right now? He loves you. He died for you. He took your place at Calvary. If you'll only receive Him into your heart as Lord of your life. Tell Him so right now in a simple prayer of faith just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from my sin. I believe you died for me. And I trust you to be Lord of my life. Save me, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, would you not make your way down to the front just a moment when they begin to sing? I want to encourage you in that. The last thing I want to say before we stand to our feet is this. 
You may be in a prison today like Paul and Silas. But friends, you've got to be honest before God. Is it one that God allowed you to move into? Or is it one that you built because of rebellion and neglect? And God's trying to discipline you and chasten you and get your attention. Don't pray for God to get you out of it this morning. Pray that God will get your heart right. Then he can tear the prison down around from you. Father, I pray you'll speak to the individual heart this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for a new beginning that can always be found in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray in these days, the testimony of this church family will be, that's a church family that constantly walks in real revival. The power of God rests upon their life because they have a right relationship with him. Father, lead us into this invitation. Your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.